0: Continuing with our sermon series on the book of James, the half-brother of Jesus. Alright, James was Jesus' brother, half-brother, and he um, was a man that saw Jesus in 2 Corinthians 15. It talks about after Jesus' resurrection from the dead that it, it seems, theologians seem to agree that Jesus appeared to James individually. He was like James and Jesus together. Now imagine a meeting like that, and it's, it's no surprise that the resurrected Jesus appearing to you would kind of impact your life in a way. And James became one of the senior leaders in the, in the New Testament church, if you read from the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in, in Acts chapter 2. And James became a senior figure in the church, but he was marked with a couple of names. And that just gives you perspective of who is writing and whose who's words are we reading here. He was known as James the Just, he was known as James the Little, and he was known as, as James Camel Knees. Yeah, that's kind of the, the different one. Now, we, we spoke about why he had Camel Knees. James's life was marked by prayer in the temple, and the temple floor was very rough. And they actually found this... After his death, as they were embalming his body, as they were preparing him for his burial, that his knee, his knees were calloused like a camel's knees, because he prayed so much. He used words to communicate with God. We were singing. I was thinking, why do we sing? Why do we use words when we sing? Because words are like seeds that we plant. When you use words, you are planting a seed that is in many ways ordering and directing the way you're going to live your life. Friends, that's why it's so crucial for us to use words rightly, because today we're going to go into chapter 3 of James, and we're going to see what James says about words. And James doesn't mince words as he speaks about words. He's very straight down the line, and he's encouraging you, he's encouraging me, to use our words wisely because the whole idea behind all the epistles, if you read anything in the New Testament, the whole idea is to call you to a level of maturity. The Bible was written to call us to a level of maturity. The Bible was written to empower the church, not just to feed the church. You're going to be fed as you study the Word of God, but you're going to be empowered to do something with it. Because that's the whole idea, that's why it's James' faith in action. Now look at this dude, he's jumping. Any takers? Well that jump, I think I would do that jump. <laughs> but in one of my slides you are going to see I kind of stretched the slide that that part is missing. That the, the part where he's going to touch his foot when he, when, he, when he falls is missing. Friends, that is faith, is when you do not see the other side. Because God is calling us to faith in action. Just before I go into James chapter 3, the book of James is summarized by two words. Theologians say that the book of James, you can summarize it in two words. World and wisdom. What does the world offer you and what does wisdom offer you? What does your first birth offer you and what does your second birth offer you? So the book of james calls us to live by our second birth what is your second birth It's the moment you made a declaration with your words that jesus christ is now my lord and savior that is the power of words and i was considering as we're preaching about words that's where i got saved as a 19 year old kid walking into a church a young immature really really depraved young man walking into a church sitting next to my cousin and what caused me to respond to the gospel is the words of Fred May, the guy that was preaching the gospel to me. He used words and those word seeds fell into my heart and God's grace prepared my heart that I could receive the seed and all of a sudden my eternity was changed because of a man's words. That's the power of words and the same way that those seeds were sown many, many years, I, I can't even remember. 47 minus nine. 28 years ago. 28 years ago. Stefan, you were there with me. My good friend. We got saved together on campus and baptized, and God just did amazing things in our lives together. But words literally has the potential to change your life. I trust that today you will hear the words of the gospel because it's the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. <coughs> James, and you, James is a very interesting, and it's actually quite a difficult book to study because he talks like a father to a son, and then he talks about this and then he goes back to it later on. In chapter 1, James starts and he, he touches on the tongues and the ears. And verse 19, he says, be slow to speak and quit to hear. He's basically saying you've got two ears and one mouth. it in that proportion. Alright. Some people live as if they've got two mouths and one ear. Alright, right, so watch it. Then he says, receive the implanted word that is able to save your soul. Bridle your tongue. Chapter 2, he says, if someone says that he has faith and he does not have works following it, his tongue is disconnected with his heart. How did God choose to reveal the Gospel to us? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and it amongst us. How does God choose to reveal His Son as a Word, as something is said? It's a seed that's sown. Let's go to James chapter 3. I didn't, have, I didn't put the whole passage on, on the board. You can follow me in the, in, on your phone, or in your Bible, or you can just listen as I read this. James chapter 3, verse 1 to 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We will stumble in many ways. Anyone who is ever at fault, or anyone who is never at fault, In what they say is perfect able to keep their whole body in check when we put bits in the mouth of horses to make them obey us we can turn the whole animal or take ships for an example although they are so large and are driven by strong winds they are steered by very small rudders, wherever the pilot wants to go likewise and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of poison. With the tongue we praise the Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings We have been made in gods likeness, us. Out of the same mouth come praising, praise and curse Him. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring my brothers and sisters can a fig tree bear olives, a grapevine bear figs, neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. This passage shows us that there's power in our tongues. I'm not talking about name it and claim it. I'm not talking about positive confession about something that is completely not realistic. But I'm saying that God wants to work in us and He wants to purify our tongues. Now, the first thing we learn about the tongue here is it is difficult to tame. Alright? He talks about being perfect. If you can control your tongue, you can be perfect. Now, the crowd that James is writing to is a bunch of Jews that know the Gospel but the problem is that they've, he calls them the Jews in the dispersion, they've been removed from Jerusalem, moved away from the church, and now all of a sudden they are being so influenced by the world that they are starting to sound like the world. The confession coming out of their mouth is the same as the confession that comes out of the world's mouth. The first sermon that we preached on this is the, is the, the great phrase, Kyrios, praise be the Lord of. And in the Roman world, Kyrios Caesar was used because it said Caesar is Lord. And the disciples literally died. James literally died because he refused to say Kyrios Caesar hmm. and he said Kyrios Jesus. And we can read the book of uh, uh, Roger preached last week on Daniel and Shabbat, and They were thrown into the fiery furnace because they were not willing to say curious Caesar, they weren't willing to let the seed that is ignited from hell pass their lips. They were not, a, they, they, they chose not to use words that has power. And it's an interesting concept that we have to wrestle with. The problem is an unrelenting attack on culture. Mark 4 verse 18 and 19 It says They hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires, and other things come in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. It says that your confession of Jesus Christ being your Lord and Savior will be attacked by these things, by the worries of this life, deceitfulness of wealth, by the desires of other things, and that it will choke the word, and that is exactly what the Jews experienced. There was a commentator, I don't know if anyone, I don't know if there's anyone here that watched the rugby yesterday, but, you know, there was the commentator on uh, on TV said it, 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 is, it is the slow poison of attrition that is being applied against all blacks. The slow poison of attrition applied to the all blacks. I don't know if you picked it up as you, as you watched it on TV. And I thought, how well put. Because that is exactly what the... What the Jews experienced and that is exactly what you and I'm experiencing. <clears throat> From the world side there's, there's, there's a, an attack like an all-black attack against the body of Christ but this scripture tells me that we can just relentlessly keep on persisting and saying God use my words as seeds for life and not seats for death. The, the the culture that that the Israelites or that the Jews were in was marked by these things: classism, idolatry, and immorality. Classism, idolatry, and immorality. Classism says racism. It's I don't have to elaborate on that. was idolatry is the love of things and then it was immorality is the love of self. Those were the things that the culture was using. Friends, and that is exactly what we are experiencing in our culture. With the economy being shaken, with our political world being shaken, with the things of this world being shaken, we are facing these things, but what will our confession be in the face of these things? confession be? Will the church just simply adhere to the confession of the world and say, you know, life is tough and I just have to hang on by the skin of my teeth and maybe make it to the end and die and maybe just, you know, know, when Jesus is looking that way, just kind of slip around the other way to get it to him. Or will the church say, I will speak the word of god i will sow the seed of the gospel i will preach the word friends because the preaching of the word is not just behind the pulpit who will reach the engineers who will reach the development economists i don't really know what that means but i know there's some people here that's in that business. <laughs> Who will, who will reach the nurses? Who will reach the doctors? Who will reach our legal world? If the seed of the word just stays in here, and I'm going to give you five things at the end of the sermon to help you to bring the seed of the word to the top and to sow it boldly and to sow in faith, knowing that God will do something that you are way unable to do. Totally unqualified. James, point out your words direct your whole body. It says it's like a bit in the mouth of a horse. It's like the rudder of a a big ship. And it's like a fire, deadly fire, the fodder on which that fire burns. And I'm going to work with that a little bit. Friends, listen to this. There's a a phrase that I was was really thinking about is how how do you word this? There was a great thinker that said, seeing with the eyes and not through the eyes is dangerous. When you see with your eyes, it's literally that the thing that I see just bounces off my eyeballs and I react because I see with my eyes. I do not allow what I see to penetrate beyond my eyes, go through the filter of the Holy Spirit, be refined And then I see through the eyes. Because now, if I see someone in front of me, I'm just going to use the light example, and he's cheering for the All Blacks. If I see with my eyes, I'm going to say, Come on, man, you're a loser. If I see through my eyes, I see Imago Dei. You are created in the image of God, even though you're supporting the wrong team. Same applies to the mouth, friends. We can speak with our mouth or we can speak through our mouths. We can allow what God says to us to go into our heart, to wrestle with it in the Holy Spirit, to consider the truth, to consider, is this God speaking? Is God, is, is the Word of God, when, when, when I say the word repentance, Can you allow it to go into your heart and allow the Holy Spirit to brood on that word and to create life? And then through your mouth you say, Jesus Christ, forgive me. Father, change my life. Lord, use me. Wherever you place me, I am willing. Will you make a pronouncement over your life? God, use me. Like what Isaiah did in Isaiah 6 when he overheard the Holy Spirit, Isaiah allowed what he saw to go into his heart and he processed it through the Holy Spirit and as he heard the Trinity speak, he made a pronouncement over his life and he said, here I am Lord, send me and then he acted on it and many great saints acted on it and it cost them their lives. A statement pronounced in a moment dictated how they lived their lives. Because they were willing to make the statement a value and not just a feeling or an emotion. Because when you start making statements, feeling and emotion, it lasts for maybe, maybe, maybe two weeks. But when the statement of the Word of God becomes the rider of the horse, is it not interesting that he uses the horse as an explanation? Because you've got to think, a horse running around on its own, it looks, you know, it's nice. they use it the movies with nice music, okay. But a horse going somewhere, we watched the Secretariat a while back, a rider with the slightest tongue, and the horse, the horse responds. What does God say about your life? What does He say about your tongue? What does he say about horse Jesse? What does he say about quick pronouncements? Just quickly. And guys, I'm saying this with respect, with sadness. Yeah, well, what's going to happen with my country? I'm going to choose, man. Done. There's no hope. Just going to hang in there. And hope we die happy. And we don't care about our children. Instead of raising children that will make sure that the gospel will spread like wildfire. In our nation kids that stand up where the teacher uses illustrations that's not in line i'm not even going to use the illustration that i'm thinking of but i was so proud of my little luke he was seven years old and the teacher said something and he walked up to her and he just called her stuff he says you don't say that you don't say that the teacher afterwards came to us and she said, "Wow, some engaged there. Friends, it's not just because it's my child. But man, we've got a responsibility for the generation following. What Alicia and the team is doing now matters. We don't just live for our generation. That is why as a church we say we exist to honor God. We make a statement and those words matter. They matter. We want to build. We want to advance God's kingdom. You know what that statement says? Is it means that I love you dearly, and and friends, I've got to let me not even say it. I love you. But what is burning in God's heart is, will you come to the mountain of the church gathering, of the gathering of the saints? And do you think that this defines us as a church or will we at the end of Jesus and Moses and Elijah and the two disciples that was with him that glorious transfiguration on the mountain what happened after that is Jesus said to them let us go down the mountain I hope this is a mountain moment for you I hope this is a moment where you hear the voice of God speaks to you but I promise you This is not not what you were designed for. There are times where God says, okay, fine. Now you're going to move out of the goosebump experience and you're going to move into the world and you're going to make a difference. Go down the mountain. Moses had a glorious meeting with God on the mountain. What does God say to him? Go down the mountain, Moses. If I was Moses, I would say, no, sorry. This is the place i dwell." I'm staying. (laughs) Alright, this is how I move. (laughs) That's what God gave me. Friends speaking. What James is saying is not stay quiet. He doesn't say do not use words. He's saying for some of you who are too quick to use words, be sparing. I'm one of them. I really need to count my words. As I'm reading the book of Proverbs, I really am convicted about how often I just use light words and I throw it in and I use humor at the wrong moments. So God is working as much on me as He would on you. But what He's saying is there's some of you are too quick to respond. Zip it. But for you are too slow to respond. And if you use all the excuses not to respond, speak up. This is not a passage that says, be quiet. This is a passage that says, if you are slow to respond, speak up. I see people here, they are soft. Some of my deep friends, they are soft, they are sensitive to the Holy Spirit, they have a way of saying things, but there's something about their lives that keeps them into that, you know, it's almost like that intimidation line just defines them. And every now and then when they step out and they speak, it's just like, Man, I can hear God's voice so in you yours. So James is saying, speak up when you need to speak up. When the world tells you to be quiet, what do you say? <coughs> when the world calls you to silence. When the world says to you, do not witness. Do not reach out to the lost. When the world says to you, speak up against racism. Or when the world says to you, speak something that is racist. When the world says to you, talk about unrighteousness. I'm sorry, when the world tells you to be silent on on, on witnessing the gospel, on racism, on unrighteousness and on discipleship, speak up. When the world calls you to speak out of anger, frustration, irritation. of this world, French revolutions were started by words. There's power in our land what we say and how do we form what we say. Mastery of the tongue is the hallmark of maturity. If you cannot master your tongue, you will be immature. Let me give you this illustration. If you do not choose to speak and to make decisions. And and speaking is the start of making a decision. Speaking is the start of action, all right? Because imagine now the horse, it's got a rider. Who's on the back of the horse? If it's the wool, it will dictate where the horse goes, all right? So if you speak out of emotion, out of comfort and out of culture, it will give you immediate gratification. But it will never transform your life. If you speak out of a value base, if you speak governed by values that the Word of God gives you, it will give you long term blessing. Ten years from now, my words matter. When I was 19 years old, it was March, it was any Niels, any in any Chat, when the hut was the real hut. If you go to Sarabosh now, it's not the real hut anymore. Because it literally looked like a hole. I made a confession and 28 years later in my life I am so thankful that I made that confession. Because it was a values-based confession. My dear friends, young generation, may God teach you this thing. Speak from a value base. Do not speak from a cultural, emotional or a feeling base make decisions from a value base not from a cultural emotional or feeling base our spirits are into our words now i'm talking about the horse rider i'm talking about the captain of the ship i'm talking about the fodder on which the, the the fire burns matthew 12 verse 34 to 37 says from the mouth or sorry for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him but i tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word that was spoken why would you just give judgment for the endurance because the words that add substance you will get reward for. You'll be judged for your empty words. I'll be judged for my empty words. And I'm under the warning from James that says to me, do not be eager to be a teacher because you'll be judged more severely. God help us, friends. God help us that the confession of the word of God out there when we move from the mountain as we are together. Where we experience the way maker, miracle worker, the light of the darkness. May this form our confession. May this form our praise. Why does God call us to pray? Because we use words. And we serve to My slides will be, it's going to confuse you guys, so you can just kind of try to hang in there if it was. Honour you. Well done. Alright. Our hearts and our tongues are connected. Are you speaking from your first birth or your second birth? Your first birth is your physical birth. Your second birth is the defining one. That is when you place your faith in God. And with your with your heart you believe, and with your mouth you can't confess you know, that Jesus Christ is Lord. So let's speak from our second birth. He says. Our word is like a bit that we put in the horse uh, in a horse's mouth. The, the, the reason why he uses a horse is impact. You have, the, you have the picture of a horse, and you've all seen the movies of horses running into battle. And there's a great there's a great passage in the book of Job about a horse. Go read it. They'll bless you. It talks about a rudder. And it talks about a, a ship. What is the important thing about a ship? It's to deliver its cargo. It's about... What am I called to? It's destiny. Okay. Then he talks about a fire. He talks about it in a negative way because he's talking to a bunch of Jews that's using their words negatively. Yeah. But we also know from the Bible, if you study fire, that fire does two things: it either destroys or it purifies. We have all been on the receiving end of people who use their power wrongly, who use their destiny wrongly and who used their words wrong. But we've all been on the receiving end of people who did it from the right spirit, fired from heaven. Andrew Murray said, prayer is, and I am dare to say, preaching is, hearing and looking into heaven and breathing in the atmosphere of heaven and exhaling it on earth. That the earth might feel what is happening here. A word of power. Taking the tongue. It's only the power of God that can transform us our tongues. we am going to give you two <laughs> scriptures just to show to you how gracious God is and what God does to us when He touches our lives. The Word of the Lord in Jeremiah 1, verse 4, it says, The Word of the Lord came to me saying, Alas. Sorry. The Word of the Lord came to me saying, Alas, sovereign Lord. Oh man, sorry, I skipped over Anyway. The word of the, God is speaking to Jeremiah, okay, this is what happened, <laughs> and God calls him and He says, I appoint you a prophet to the nation, or to the nations, and then Isaiah responded, Alas sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak, I am too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young, you must go to everywhere I send you and you and say whatever I command you, and what if whatever I command and say and so the sea, whatever I command. <laughs> Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and I will rescue you, declares the Lord. I am with you and I will rescue you. Friends, when you go confess Jesus Christ as Lord in our culture, James is saying, Come on, guys, confess. Jeremiah is, pro- is promising. God says, I am with you. Do not be afraid of them. Let's go. Right. Then Acts 1 verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on, uh, comes on you, and you will become my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, Samaria, to the edge of the earth. God wants to touch our tongues. God wants to say to some of us, you speak too much, you speak less. God wants to say to some of you guys, you speak too little, speak up. He wants to refine our tongues. Great servant. How do I do this? That's the big question. How do you refine your tongue? Read your Bible. Because now you're reading Jesus. Now you're reading the word that can flesh. Pray. Declare to God. Speak to God. (coughs) And I would encourage you to speak to God first before you speak to people. I would encourage you to speak to God about our nation before you to speak to people about our nation. Pray, and you can say Oh, this year, Bible, Alpha. Here we go, and I'm doing it with no spirit. There's no spirit in me. because I'm just a Bible and good imagination. Not. Please don't make that noise really. <laughs> Pray. Live in community. Surround yourself with people that speak the word of God. Friends, is crucial. Surround yourself with people that tell you, you can't talk like that now. People that you've given them the right to speak to your life. And you know what is an incredible way of changing your time? Is go share the Gospel with someone. Think of one person now, right now. Ask God for one person. One person. And I want to say to you, when you go and you sow the seed of the Gospel into their lives, and you start seeing that seed germinate, and you start seeing how that seed changes changes their lives, you will start speaking the word more and more and more. We're going to end off with this example. I had the privilege of of meeting Uncle Floyd McClain. Many of you guys don't even know who he is. Written multitudes of books, in churches in multitudes of nations. Became like a father to our every-nation movement in South Africa. And Uncle Floyd knew the power of the word, spoken, because he saw it working in people's lives. And you know what? What starts off with being difficult becomes something that you start loving more and more and more. When you speak life, you will experience life. Because Romans 8 teaches me this about the Word of God. It says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. When we speak spirit, we speak life, and friends, life is what you really, really want. You were designed for life, you were hardwired for God's life. That is why right now in your heart the gospel is resonating with something in you. The hope that you hear when you hear God call Jeremiah is like, man, if God called Jeremiah, a young guy that was a bit insecure and had his struggles. Maybe, maybe he can use it. <laughs> he can. May- Allow me to sow that seed into your heart. Like Fred made sow the seed of the gospel into my heart when I was a 19-year-old, the kid. May the word of God produce fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold in your life. May God give you Wisdom. May God give you patience. May God give you persistence in sowing. How am I doing with time? Okay, I'm basically I'm almost five minutes over time. I know this. Friends, I want to share a prophetic word with you that Pastor Jim Food got for the world. Pastor Jim Lofud is one of our leaders in every nation. And he, he prayed and he said, that he saw the earth like a globe in, in front of him. And it says it looked as if it was exploding from the inside out. And it was fissuring. There was literally just cracks everywhere, appearing. And and Jim, Pastor Jim said in his prayer to the Lord, God, why are you breaking the world? And God said to him, When you see fissures, I see furrows. What is a furrow? A furrow is something that comes after a plow. When you plow a field, there's furrows. What is a furrow? It's a place where you can sow seeds. And God said to Jennifer in these words, He said, if I don't do what I do now, my gospel seed cannot be able to be sown, and my spirit cannot flow. That will cause it to to, to grow. Friends, what's happening in this world, let me tell you this. God is busy making furrows for the seed of the gospel. I say to you as believers, sow the gospel. Because as God's people get ready to sow, God's Spirit is right there and He will flow. And you will see multitudes of people bowing their knee before Jesus, getting baptized, getting filled with the Holy Spirit, and doing great things for an incredible God. Because with you. Amen.